Hello. Hello. And welcome. And welcome. To the live watching of the Xbox Games Showcase live with me, Jeff Keeley, and my two favorite podcasters in the world, joining me for the Game Awards live Xbox Showcase, Matt Visual. Hello. And renowned Halo Pro player, George Weedman. Dude, Jeff Keeley, I love you and everything, but my Halo skills, they just ain't like what they used to back in the good old days of the Spike TV Halo 3 Dorito days, man. My skills are getting rusted, the halcyon, <laughs> the reflexes. If you guys can think of Jeff Keeley without thinking about Doritos and Mountain Dew, or is, is that always <laughs> just going to be I there? I think it's time. I, I, To be fair, I thought of it because Halo was on my mind more so than Jeff Keeley was on my mind. Halo 3 in particular. I always think about Doritos. I always think about Doritos. Oh, that sucks. I do feel like Jeff has redeemed himself in the past couple of years. He's been on a good, he's been on a rising star, but some a friend was here a couple of hours ago and I was saying that's Jeff Keeley and he was like I don't know who Jeff Keeley is I was like you don't know Doritos Pope and that's the immediate first thing I could think of related to Jeff Keeley <laughs> that somebody might know about and then I was like oh he's talking about Halo which coincidentally is Doritos Pope meme Halo Jeff Keeley back in the day yeah but it made him more famous what would he ever complain about right it- he was slightly famous but now he's like Jeff Keeley Doritos Pope famous yeah, I don't mean it in a negative way, like, but it is, it is like a funny thing that comes to mind every time I think about Jeff Keeley. Like, he he just has his backstory of just selling <laughs> just, out like it's, hard. It's just, you know, it's just his face, <laughs> his face in the photo where he looks yes. pissed is great, yes. and yes. it's not his fault. It's it was like the defining moment when games turned to this promotional Xbox Live. Getting the brands in, which then when streamers and stuff came along anyway, that was like the business. But back then, he, he was the he was the pioneer. As I recall, the controversy was more over a journalist participating in a promotional contest by the sponsors. Yeah, um, Laura, Lauren Wainwright, I think her name was. Yeah, yeah, and and that oh, was really? more more the culprit than Jeff Keeley, who was just kind of providing the backstory flavor. It was happening around the same time. Yeah, like like it was Jeff Keeley's job to do the sponsorships, but it was that journalist in particular who was breaking the the line between getting sponsored by the stuff you're reporting on. And uh, Jeff Keeley was explicitly always known as a sponsored promoter. Yeah, he's not a journalist, is he? I mean, All right. not really anymore. He was at one point, but I'm legitimately tempted to pick up the um, digital Final Hours of Half Life Alex book, though. That shit looks like a lot of good interview. I feel like the documentary would be worth watching, mm-hmm. considering your gripes last week. It might help you to understand better the development of Half Life. I guess. Well, I know, yeah. but. What was my gripe that they like canceled a bunch of projects and never got it done? I don't think that's that's going to get contradicted in there. Well, I imagine there'll be some explanation as to why, and that's part of the reason they make the documentary, right? The the explanation why is just that they have a shitload of money to dick around with, more so than most people do. That is such a black and white answer that definitely is only half of the story, which is why watching one of these documentaries, even though it probably is in Valve's favor, no matter what, because Jeff, obviously, big buds with old game deal. Oh yeah, it will be. 
it's commercial. <laughs> they're, they're getting Valve money from those sales. And it's on Steam and you buy it through Steam. So yeah, I imagine it's not the uh, most unbiased of things, but I imagine money is only half the story. It, but, but it's still going to be a chronicle of canceled projects. But that's interesting. I'm not saying it's not. Definitely interesting. <laughs> Such Definitely a strange gripe. Yeah. Chaps, anyway, aside from the Jeff Keighley bonanza that's happening right as we speak, Yes. What have you been up to? Because, guys, I've been playing some games. Yay! <laughs> For the first time ever. Now the golf game is out. I, I haven't played anything. Matt, I got you back. I got you back this week, brother. I got, I got you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you, man. I've, I've been trying. To, I've been trying to like go through Persona, man. I've been trying. I've been trying. I got a friend waiting I on haven't. me to finish. <laughs> it needs to be delivered with George's face, guys, and he just has this not defeated, just uninterested defeated mix of a face. I going played on. games with the Discord, the Discord boys <laughs> this this week. I did not play Persona by myself. I played games with other people with a uh, cool now. charisma gonna, and stellar he's gonna, personality. He's going to spin it now. I'm like, oh, I don't have time for Corona because I'm spending time with real people. <laughs> he was sacrificing Persona to upgrade his real life social things yes. instead. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my God. I've been upgrading my social links um, at the... I guess uh uh uh, uh work. But work. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, bar. Bars are closed over here, man. Oh yeah, sorry. I don't live in a third world country like you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know, like corona aside, I, I really do miss like going to the occasional Dave and Busters, you know, or Mission Control over here. Arcade bars all around here. I can't go to any of them anymore. It kinda sucks. I feel so sorry for you all. I mean, yeah. Tokyo's rising, so Tokyo's gonna fucking ruin Japan <laughs> soon enough as well. Rising. So, yeah. <laughs> Tokyo has like, like 360 cases today, which obviously compared to America is nothing, but for Japan oh, it means it's a bit out of control. 56. Oh, you mean you mean you mean rising in case counts? I thought you just meant rising in importance on the world stage. <laughs> no. Rising in terms of cases. Tokyo's has Tokyo is. Important to just culture. Tokyo <laughs> no actual rising. real power. Speaking of Japan. Oh, I want to hear about Ghost. Yeah. Do you know what happens when you release a game you've been working on for like three months nonstop that made you not play games? You have time to play games. Isn't it weird? Oh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah. So I finished that. The, the Dark Souls of Golf Games, as it's been called by about 25 people now. And... I've started playing games. I dived head first. Wait, I finished wait, wait, wait. one. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Yeah, do we, how, I don't, I don't know response? if we should jump into other people's games before we, do, yeah. we do this, Liam. Yeah, yeah, Because you, you, you had a big release this week. Yeah, I'm surprised you're not jumping right into this, This what you're talking about right now. It's I a, think he's he's just so disconnected from it right now. Yeah, he's yeah, you break. want to yeah, put to bed something that I think the rest of us, you know, find a lot more fun than you do because we didn't make it. That's what's been saying. I will admit, okay, so for anybody who didn't know, I... I've been making my own other personal project outside of Q stuff and like 
something for myself, just jumping into Game Maker and doing something. And, and it ended up being this game that was called Curse to Golf, which is like a roguelite inspired golf game where you do a run through nine holes, trying to survive nine holes in these Metroid like massive levels. And, and you can only hit the fucking golf ball to the right. Yeah, and you can only hit the golf ball to the right. So that means you have to bounce it off walls in a pinball kind of fashion and kind of calculate your angles and try and get it to the flag in a par. Uh, it's more difficult than I expected oh, to hit. Oh, my God. Because I played yeah. it a lot. I didn't have any. I didn't have a QA department, put it that way. People just got to get good, man. I don't know what's up with all the scrubs you- in Discord who couldn't make it to hole three. Yeah, George did get to hole four his first turn. That was pretty good. His- First turn. I didn't even yeah. know the first statues try, gave you two try. whole two things, uh, two extra hits until later on. Sorry, I was slow dude. on the grind yeah. there, man. That's my fault. I ended up appreciating after a while that you could only hit the ball right. So did mm. a lot of people. Actually, I got yeah. three messages uh, from pretty prominent game design people who were like, that was the smartest thing you did. Like, <laughs> being only able to hit right makes this not a golf game like not yes. a normal golf game i would just go play golf story or something if i could only hit a certain way uh, if i could hit anyway are, are are you accepting it now that this is a good fucking game that you should mm. you know no go, go, go to release with this i will admit this is the first time where i've made something where i actually have had no like zero negative comments it's a fucking good game People haven't offered improvements. People have just offered suggestions. They're like, hey, if you make a full version of this or, or, or something in the future, which I don't know, but they have said, like, it'd be great if I could do this or I saw this or I could do this. And none of it is like, oh, this is broken. You should do this. It's been a lot of like, oh, it'd be great if it had this as well. And it all is just like additional stuff on top that everybody has, you know, different ideas for, which has been really cool to see. Yeah, and it, you know, within the first day, like a lot of people started being like, it's the Dark Souls of Golf, <laughs> which helped because yes. obviously, as for stupid that as that is, that ended up being what pushed it even further on Twitter. And then on Twitter, it started spreading around. Uh, actually, I got a tweet from, you know, what the golf, those guys, uh, obviously, one of the biggest golf, they were like, we check all the golf news. We played your stupid game. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. Don't hate me. <laughs> the competition is heating up. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what happened to your camera, George? I, we can't. The, the listeners are not going to know what's wrong with my camera right now. I'm just going to have to describe how I go dark and bright. I accidentally <laughs> waved my arm to the right and it happened to snag a fucking cable, okay? I might be a little brown and bloom HDR right now, but they're just going to have to imagine that with their with their minds. Point is, Liam, you for those who don't know, let's visually describe with uh, on this audio podcast what Cursed to Golf looks and feels and plays like. Um, what's the genre here? Is it a survival game or a sports game? Is it a lifestyle or is it a game? Yeah, so I don't, I don't know because I ruined it. 
because it's the it's the number one ranked sports game on it. <laughs> it's, right it's not really a sports. It's game. not wrong though. It is. You are hitting a golf ball in the direction of a golf hole. I feel anybody who's looking for pure sports is going to be very <laughs> upset. <laughs> so you are for those who don't know in this game you have a limited amount of tries before your golfer fucking dies. Um, if you miss too many times, your golfer just gets gets axed. No, the loop the loop repeats. There's there's explosive crates and and fans that blow you off course, like like fun, unexpected surprises hidden just out of frame that you can still use some optional purchasable power ups and stuff to plan for ahead of time. But um, it's so good because it taps into this like primordial visceral thrill of hitting stuff and being surprised at what chaos you unleash <laughs> there's there's been a lot of really really fun swings where i just am surprised to see what sort of year-long road trip that ball ends up going by the end of it unless you get stuck in one particular spot like i'm just i'm just smiling and giggling through the oh, whole thing oh, let's, let's unpack stuff. getting fucking stuck in one particular spot. Okay, no, people just don't know how to hit with, the bottom no, of the ball. That's no, no, no. all. You're stuck in a corner. I'm pretty sure someone has reached this corner. This is corner uh, uh, top, no, bottom right. Below, um, above the hole a little bit where there's a patch of sand and a huge wall that's blocking your way. And you only <laughs> could hit to the right. So each time you hit the ball, it goes right back into the sand or it'll bounce off and hit the wall that's really close to the left already. So you just have to angle it a certain way that it bounces away from the wall and it's hell. It is hell. And it wait. Oh, my God. It's so fucking hell because you're like so close. You're so close to the fucking hole and you keep fucking it up. You keep fucking out. every time it just bounce and it goes so straight sorry. into the corner where the, the 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 sand meets the wall to the right over and over again, and you have to get over it. <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> Liam. Liam is just I can see the devil horns right now. It's just poking out, man. It's oh man, out. it's yeah. So people have sent me screenshots of like bits where they're stuck on, and I'm like. It's possible. It, like <laughs> it is. It, it is. is possible. And um, I didn't get through it. I definitely died there, and I avoided it next time. But yes. So there are two holes that stand out that get. I don't want to say like credit, but they get shit talked by people who get frustrated. Not frustrated, but have like they're like, how do I do this? One is the hor completely horizontal one, right? And it's been dubbed. Uh, horizontal ho homicide by some community members. So that one is like a, a very difficult, complete side scroll platforming one. And then the other one is the one where you have to like keep going up and the platforms keep going higher and higher and you have to chip it onto each one. And the, the statues are few and far between. So these statues gain you two shots back on the par that keeps you alive uh, before the loop repeats itself. And it's been amazing watching people play. Uh, one of our actual listeners, uh, somebody who streams, uh, their name is Atomic VR. I believe you guys have played VR with them before. Um, was what playing it, and I, there was just a moment where he was stuck on that that hole where you have to keep rising and 
I clipped it and it's just the most magnificent, hilarious thing Fuck I've ever that. seen. Holy man. <laughs> that, was my, that was my third hole one time. That was my third I'm hole sorry. one time. I was just like, Yeah, so for yeah, for people who don't know, the holes are completely randomized, yeah. not in structure, but in order oh. of how they appear. Yeah. So huh. the holes are designed, so they're the same every time, apart from some elements are random, like the coin positions and some statue positions change. But in terms of after the first hole, which is a static hole, there's no par. You can try and collect all the coins you want. Take your time, you know, practice some shots, bounce it off the wall a few times. And then after that, the second hole could be the third hole, the fourth hole, the fifth hole, the sixth hole, the seventh hole, the eighth hole, or the ninth hole. They all appear in a random order. Uh, and it's randomized. So the idea is currently there's only nine holes in the game. Uh, but if there was a you know a future version of the game, it would have, I don't know, 50 completely designed holes. And then it would every time you did a run, it would randomize nine holes from the 50 in any order. And you would have like a different golf course almost every single time. So, so what you're saying is, is that there's a chance that I'm actually terrible at the game and I'm a little baby nub scrub whiny poo boy who just happened to get an easier selection of holes than everyone else. Sometimes, yeah. So I feel wow. like if you get wow. either of the horizontal or the, uh, or the horizontal homicide or the rising platform one on your second hole, I would just restart the run because to, unless you're confident at hitting shots, and you have a good firm grasp on, you know, the ability to control the ball a bit better. Uh, I would just restart and then wait until you've got a couple of mulligan power-ups and you've got maybe a last chance if you're lucky. And then... What do you think about... The first hole is always a practice hole, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. always a practice hole. So <laughs> please don't uh, apply this to any other situation in life. Um why don't you do a shot indicator for the first, just the first one? Since it already is a tutorial. So when, you, when you're when you like messing with the ball um, yeah. rotation or where you hit the ball, you, yeah. people can understand it more because I still kind of don't understand why you would hit from the top or bottom. I know, I know the bottom, so, yes. The bottom goes up straight up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like yeah. I can never hit the ball straight on consistently. Like okay. straight. I want yeah. sometimes I want to go straight, hit the statue, bounce off, and go down the hole. Yeah, yeah. And it, I so, feel like that's always a, a I'm fighting with it. Uh, you will be fighting with it a little bit. So the way it works in terms of like, it, it's a bit realistic of what hitting a real ball would be like in terms of <laughs> physics. But the the right. difference is in the game is that so you have the power the power bar for people who don't know. When you hit a shot in this game, the first thing that appears is the power bar. And it's like a traditional power bar where an indicator goes up and down and then you have the max value, which is indicated. And then, you know, you imagine what the lowest value is. And then somewhere in between there is the power. And, uh, you know, you try and hit what you think relatively would be. It's purposely ambiguous. There's no numbers. It's just a visual indicator. And then after that, once you've stored the power and you're halfway through your backswing, uh, the angle, the uh, a ball marker appears, and there's an indicator that goes up and down on what looks to be a golf ball, and that is the angle which the game calculates as the y value. Now, the y value isn't an angle calculation; it's actually just a y force against oh. the ball. So it doesn't actually say 
hit X value at angle 90 or something like that. It doesn't actually do that. What it does is it says the X value is 10, the Y value is five. So you'll notice that if that's the case, well, the X value will override the Y value, which means that when it starts to rise, the X value will override it and start to dip. But if you hit the ball underneath at the bottom, the Y value is the strongest. So it's gonna do, it's gonna resemble hitting a ball underneath, which would be then to go like up in the air and chip it. So the, the forces kind of balance each other out. So it has this progressive curve. Now, if you wanna hit it across the ground or you wanna hit like a small shot, what you wanna do is you wanna have the X value pretty much in control because you're just knocking it forward. So if you hit the top, Technically, the y value is zero and non-existent. So actually, all it's going to do is go along the x-axis at a straight line. So although it's not an angle, uh, technically, it works like that. So to hit it straight on, I would have to hit it from the top, is what you're saying? From the top, yeah. So if you just think of a it, ball, That's right? not what happened with me, though. That's, that's, that's what I was like, oh, I'm confused now. Now I'm confused. Like, so it depends, get... right? If, you, if yeah. your x value is low the y value will, and even if the y value is low, they'll kind of ne negate each other out. So they might, you know, it might just pop in the air a little bit mm. or something yeah. like that. But if you hit it hard on the x value and then it's low on the y value at the top, yeah. it will go in a straight line. Mm, it works okay. in the same way. Um, if you imagine tennis, when you do like a, when you try and top the ball to do like a backspin or something, you would hit yeah. underneath it to get that rotation to go up. up if yeah, you yeah. top it, then it's going to go, the ball's going to go downwards. So it works in that kind of I way. A lot of wee tennis, yeah. The idea is to look at the golf, uh, to look at the golf ball. Well, this is my intention anyway, was to look at the golf ball and see like, you know, if I hit it in the middle, I expect that it will go in like a sort of arc transition. If I hit it underneath, it's going to fly upwards immediately. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think it could be better explained and stuff like that. There's a lot about the game that I wanted to purposely be ambiguous for it to be like the chat. Like a lot of the power ups, the power up cards you get have kind of odd text, not odd text, but like purposely not very detailed explanations so that, you know, you try them or, or you're doing a good run and maybe you miss it like because you don't understand it, but then you realize later oh, that does this, uh, that would have really helped. And then you try and play again and that kind of thing. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily need it. It's just, I, I want it. Like, it's just like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I want the information right now. And that's you know? the thing I found, actually, Matt. You're absolutely right. The thing I found is that's helped. People like that it is a little, not like Dark Souls or anything, but is a little ambiguous there's no hmm. outright hit ball x beats y do yeah. this to do the power and that's why there's no shot indicator one shot indicators would be difficult because the way this thing is structured is you hit the x and then you hit yeah. the y and then the ball flies immediately so there's no way i can prior calculate you're most some of the fun of the game too yeah you want to hit the shot and just see where it goes right for if you had it throughout the whole game like that's just yeah because then you would be like, okay, I'm gonna hit it this way. This this might work. And then when you yeah. hit it, yeah, like and it's like, oh shit, it worked even better than I thought it was gonna do, <laughs> yeah. or or worse. But you never get that high from like, oh shit, I did it right. 
you know, without even knowing where the ball was going to go, just based on kind of like what I've learned. I it's it's good. Like I said, like it's satisfying when I was playing it. I was like, oh shit, this is good. Oh, dude. Man, thank you. <laughs> is I'm glad good. it's like Liam doesn't want to take a compliment, guys. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. <laughs> He does it's not. Hot, he thinks it's just I okay. The, I, I think I it's can just see. better than a lot of shit I've played. Okay. Imposter syndrome is just like actually totally a real scientific documented thing, and yes. we are hearing it right now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like oh. I don't know. It it doesn't. The comments I've had on it don't feel like the typical comments uh, you get when you release something. Like, you know, when you make something, people are like, oh, yeah, nice, real, yeah, that's real cool. Like, <laughs> Good job, job, right? Friend. But like, people are generally back. reaching out and they're like, I really like this. This is a good game. I like that you did x this, thing yeah. and i'm like oh so you've played it you know what is going on and like yeah no yeah it's not like oh good game good game liam good game. yeah yeah it's, it's like, not yeah. like when i you know if i released you know prior games or scrappers or something oh yeah yeah it looks really good yeah i'll check it out yeah <laughs> and then you're like oh cool <laughs> yeah one day <laughs> they will and um yeah uh people are generally like you know twitter dms and they're like oh wow this is really good and i've got to say Shout out to our Patreon Discord member, Timo, who is notoriously very good at video games. He's a La Mulana, which is one of the hot, you know, dip, most difficult platforming games. Uh, he's a speedrunner of that. His pedigree for games, he uh, is also very modest in that regard, but he's very good. He's the only person I've actually seen complete it so far. Holy and he's got a score. He's got wow. and he's completed it. Does he have a video or something? No, he's got screenshots of the final windscreen. I would love them. to see him actually play. So he did stream some in the for, Discord. And he was him. playing for like <laughs> four four hours or so. Like oh, he was wow. playing okay. for like three days straight, like four yeah. or five hours. It was pretty wow. crazy. And I was popping in and seeing how it's going and stuff like that. Um, but he got a 49 score, which is better than any score I've got. <laughs> Damn. Because I remember, cow. considering he's the only person I've seen who's finished it, I've seen their screen of it. On the first day it came out and people were saying it was too hard, I purposely did play it in our Discord stream to prove that you could finish it. And I finished it twice. So from there, people popped off. I, I missed that. God dang it. Yeah, I think it was shit Japan time. But I was like, look, I can do it. I'll do it right now. I'll show you. It's it's possible. But my scores were crap. It was like 80 and 70. And then Timo got like a 55 and then a 49 like a day later. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Holy shit. Gosh, if I that's... see you play it, I, I would probably become better. Like, I just need to see someone do it. There are definitely things when watching me where I've... Yeah, where I've I take the same paths. So yeah. I have a path for every hole that I know you made it for right. me is the best yeah. path. So there are certain paths in each hole because there are multiple paths per hole. Mm. So each path is like, ah, this is the this is the best path, like I think. But then Timo's got a 49, so I don't know. Everybody should just watch Timo play and uh yeah, then they might improve. There's always talk about how when you release a game, you see players just do completely unexpected, surprising stuff with it. And it it completely surprises me that someone actually managed to beat through that thing faster than the developer 
the yeah. day after it came out that, that it, this is something that is notoriously difficult that that's impressive that is really really impressive yeah and uh timo did this thing where he because it's a game maker game timo went into like the undertale game maker mod thing and he completely ripped the whole game apart i mean he was looking at all of the levels and stages without any art and just all the blocks and seeing everything <laughs> under the bare hood and maybe, it scared the maybe. shit out of me because i was like what is he gonna find what did i leave in the game that possibly is troublesome Thankfully, nothing. Bank account, social security number, addresses. <laughs> Credit card. List of fears, taxes. Surprisingly, only one bug uh, that has been reported. There's like a timer challenge thing in the game that you can take uh, if you take a certain power up. If you actually lose uh, to the timer, it says game over, which was a placeholder art, and I didn't change it and I forgot to change it. <laughs> <laughs> we oh. all make mistakes. It happens to the very best of us. Uh, yeah, when you're making something by yourself. But yeah, it's going it's going really well. And it's doing really well on itch. Uh, it's completely free to play. And yeah, I think it's number one sports game, number one golf game. It was the wow. second most popular for the week behind Both that Bloodborne did. pixel art remake that was going around on Kotaku and stuff. And yeah, Fuck it's doing yeah, all right. Dude. It's, doing, 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 yeah, it's doing pretty good. But, I mean, I don't want to talk for too long. I, I do want to hear about these two games, though. Um, so, yeah. yeah. About about Ghost and Curse of the Moon. But, uh, yeah, I have nothing. So you guys can, you guys, you between you two, you guys can go ham. <laughs> well, I'll continue a little bit then on, because basically after releasing that, there you go. Free time opened up. Daddy's home. <laughs> time to play the PlayStation. <laughs> He's finished work. Daddy's home. Check check the description for a link to uh to to Cursed to Golf by by Liam Edwards. Please play. Definitely give Please it rate. a try. Like, comment, subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> on on the game. So yeah, very quickly. Remember last week I was saying started playing Curse of the Moon two. Kind of gave up because was going to play through with a buddy anyway with some whiskey and we we're going to have a, uh, like a is good it time. Is it co-op? Yeah, it has local co-op. Yeah, yeah. So we did that. We did the local co-op and we played through it all in one setting. It's not that long. It's about three hours-ish, maybe. No, no less than that, maybe two hours. I'm going to have um, to pick this up. And it's fine. It's pretty good. Same as the other one. Towards the end... It gets a little tiring, and you're like, I want this to end now. There is one boss that uh. I think it's the second to last stage, and it has like a checkpoint and then six screens before you actually get to the boss. And it's full of like timed platforming, shitty enemies, no power ups. And like, it was just like, this is just not fun. This is not fun. But the one thing I like about this game compared to the first game is the characters in this game are much more fun to play. So in the previous game, you had, I think it was four characters, the vampire, the girl, the old man, and then Zengetsu. And you've got Zengetsu again. There's a girl with a spear. And then you have an old guy with a gun who is awesome, but he has no health. And then you have a dog in a mech suit who is awesome. And they are really fun to play. And they're all very diverse, and a lot of the levels are broken up to be 
you know, taking advantage of the fact that you have different characters. And a lot of the levels uh, take advantage of having two players, stuff that you would miss if you were just playing single player. Um, like you can like jump on the other player's head and then the other player can like carry you and stuff like that. It's pretty fun. Um, I think the levels are a little less inspiring than the first game. But the first game was such a surprise because nobody expected anything out of it. And then all of a sudden, it was good fun. And people were like, whoa, this game's actually good. Obviously, this game has expectations because of the first game. But it turned out, turned out all right. We had a good time. By the end, when it was finished, it was like chapter one complete. And we're like, what? <laughs> and then actually, when you play chapter two, it's just the same game again, but harder. Like a new game plus. And you're like, ah, oh, right. okay. it's not actually a chapter two or something. so they weren't sequel baiting for for curse of the moon three no um but i imagine you know same as the first game uh you know there are multiple different things you can do multiple different ways to play you can kill your partners and whatever but it was good fun i did enjoy it um and that was that out of the way liam finished the game it's a fucking miracle wow took two hours. but but it's a blend of the two of what you already do you you went out for you usually go out for drinks but you brought the drinks home and played a game. Bought the drinks home, sensible man, during this pandemic time. So you combined the time together, socializing yeah. and game time. Yeah, I didn't have to sacrifice one for the other this time. But Xenoblades is still not finished, though. So Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> How's that game? <laughs> I get enough shit. I, I haven't looked up too much because I, I know I want to I want to give it a try. I know I can't rent games anymore, but so Matt. Yeah. Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. I have probably played at least 20 hours of that game so far. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm yeah. I'm still I'm like at the end of Act One. But what? anybody what? who's playing <laughs> anybody who's playing will know there is an Assassin's Creed boatload. Um, of yeah, of stuff in this game, and you get distracted, and you don't complete things. Bottom line, off the bat, this is open world, the video game, the open world video game. It is every Assassin's Creed game, every Shadow of Mordor, every uh, bit of Witcher. Far Cry, do you gotta climb towers? Everything, everything. Wait, wait, Shadow of Mordor? In terms, it, in terms is of there like a nemesis system? No, no, no. In terms of like the open world styling, you know, oh, things on a map go to that. I was point, almost right? really happy. <laughs> liberate, liberate the camp. Oh, take the Mongols out. Oh, okay. Yeah, Shadow of Mordor is like heavy on the nemesis system. If like, you, if you have ever played Assassin's Creed or Far Cry. You've played Ghost of Tsushima, but not as a samurai. It's an open world video game in the most classic of open world video games. And that might be a bit off-putting because don't expect anything else. It is exactly that. You follow some missions, you go and liberate camps on the map, and it opens up the map, and you'll meet enemies along the road. And you will be collecting collectibles and you'll be finding shit and upgrading shit and all that kind of jazz. Now, I don't like that kind of stuff, but I like this game. I don't know. It's probably the Japan theme. More than likely why I like it. Mm -hmm. It's very, very good in that regard. 
it's very, very good on terms of its theme. It's fully like on the Japanese weeb train, but the historical weeb, let's say the the fancy weeb who's into historical Japanese culture, because this is full on like mythological Japan tales tied with honor and code and Japanese samurai class and stuff. Is there any supernatural element or is it like all hard realism? No, it's like hard realism in the way that myth tales are explained by them being yeah, okay. that very sounds fun. revered human beings. But there are no... Awesome. Apart from your horse, which is definitely some sort of om- omnipotent <laughs> god. Because always? you can Because mm. you can just call your horse and it appears right behind you. And that's amazing because in Breath of the Wild, the amount of times I pressed to whistle for the horse and it's like opponent couldn't hear you i'm like what's the point having a horse then mr d is not coming no matter where you are the horse will appear and that's pretty great so there are a couple of things about this i'm enjoying it it is very tropey open world and you might not be able to get over that and you might get bored of that very quickly easily the best looking open world game i've ever seen Mm. and that's the best thing about the game it is fucking spectacular. That's why I always see these images all the time. Even my friends playing it have it on Instagram. I'm like, what are, what are you guys <laughs> it's f- it, the, Yeah, the photo mode ties into that. Because it, it's got like the best photo mode I've seen in the game as well. Like similar to Spider-Man's. But there's a lot you can change and do. And this game already looks great. This game looks great at a distance. Doesn't look that great up close. Character models are like what you'd expect. They're not bad. They're just what you'd expect. And also some rock textures and when you get up close, not great. But the landscape, the grass, the lighting, the trees are fucking amazing. The lighting in this game is... Are you on regular PS4? I'm I'm playing on a base PS4, which ties me into my next point. Oh, okay. Here we go. It runs like absolute fucking shit. Well, never mind. It's... Honestly, at a point where you might not be able to get over it. Yeah, never mind. Like, I nearly stopped playing within an hour because every time I turn the camera, if there's particles on the screen, which there are particles everywhere in this game because it overblows those leaves, leaves and and flowers and ash and flame everywhere. As soon as you pan the camera, it's 30 frames anyway, it's not 60. 30 frames it stutters and drops down to 23 20 for like a second but it's so frequent and so constant that it's so noticeable all the time when you're fighting in combat when you're riding your horse and you suddenly enter like a big flower bed of Mm -mm. flowers it drops immediately and it's really really bad like really bad And it's so frustrating in the beginning because the game opens with this big bombastic sequence on the beach where the Mongols arrive and all the samurai fight, but it doesn't run very well. (laughs) It makes the worst first impression I've seen. It runs terribly. And there's no first day patch. There's no patch I can see so far. It's just, I don't know whether it's because I have a base PS4, which more than likely is the case. And some people might not have experienced this as as bad as I have, but it is not good because it's so constant. It's not like you play for an hour and you see some frame rate dips. It's like every time I jump on my horse and I pan the camera, it's like, and then it carries on as normal. I have to look at the, I have to actively look at the ground sometimes 
just to be able to realign my camera in combat without stuttering the frame rate. And it's so it's such a shame because this game is so good looking. Like when you stand still and just let everything be and you stand on top of a cliff and you look at all the colors and you look at everything, the draw distance is amazing. Um, it's gorgeous, like truly, truly gorgeous until you move. And then when you move, it becomes a little bit of a different story. It still looks great. So it, it seems like it goes down to 25 FPS. Yeah, it definitely drops immediately, like five or seven frames. Yeah. Mm. Did you just say that you've like gotten into the habit of panning the camera towards the ground yes. as part of the gameplay rituals? So one of the parts it stutters the most in is combat because there's a lot of enemies on the screen mm. and there's particles and stuff. So it it chugs. And to realign the camera because, interesting, this game doesn't have a lock-on. It has like, um, I don't know what they call it, but we call it soft focus. You know, where, where the camera automatically detects kind of where the player is aiming, yeah. you know, just by where the camera is, right? Well, or the, where the they enemy point. you would be locking onto anyway. Yeah, but the camera doesn't follow that. So you'll be able to move your character independently around in a scene from the camera when you're in combat. Not when you're moving around. It's always third person behind uh, Jin when you're not in combat. As soon as you're in combat, it kind of unlocks away from the character, and then the character is able to move freely around in that space. And sometimes the character will be looking at the camera, and you'll be fighting enemies, and the enemy will be the one in front of the camera, and the character will be behind the other way. And actually, that's fine, because the combat in this game is really fun. It can be a little, not tough, but it can be a bit frustrating sometimes, because Every enemy has like a certain weakness to a certain stance and the game wants you to change stances all the time. And sometimes it's a little fr frustrating because none of the stances look that different. It's all still just mashing the katana towards the enemy. But mm -hmm. there is like a lot of other things you can do. You can throw smoke bombs and you can hide. You can throw like black powder bombs and you can uh, get power-ups for your arrows where you can slow down time and fire stuff. You can throw kunai really quickly. Once you unlock a few powers and you're experimenting, because the one thing the game's not afraid to do is overwhelm you with enemies, like 10 or so enemies at the same time with archers behind them firing arrows. And the game wants you to act fast and like deal with it really quickly. And if you're not careful and you're not choosing the right stance to take down like the shield enemy or the spear enemy, you'll die. Um, because the game doesn't have automatic healing, it has like this resolve mechanic where when you execute enemies you gain back resolve and you can spend the resolve to get health back and if you don't do that the game will you, will let you straight up die and it's pretty brutal because you'll get injured and then an enemy will kick you to the ground and everybody will come in and start kicking you on the ground and then one guy will finally walk up to you get a spear and just like stab you through the head uh it's pretty brutal but the combat can be really fun uh when it's not running poorly sometimes when it's running poorly it stutters and you're like ah you really wish you didn't do this yeah i'm i'm watching digital foundry now and the it goes down to like 24 20 it just keeps going up and down up and down when so ps4 I think they use the PlayStation, pro is yeah. a solid 30 yeah it's so if you go to playstation pro you might be fine and obviously yeah. people will say we well, should play on playstation pro but it's a ps4 game like yes. you don't see The Witcher running like this. You don't see no, you don't other games that are like the like The Last of Us Two. 
I didn't see any graphical hitches during that game at all. And that game is, you know, as it is, a technical marvel. I will admit, I'm enjoying Ghost of Tsushima a lot more than I did with The Last of Us 2. And it's fun to be a samurai because you can walk up to people and you can challenge them to a standoff, basically like an old Western duel, but with katanas. And then when the guy lunges at you, you can immediately strike and kill them like an old Kurosawa film. Are you playing in Kurosawa mode? No, and don't. Don't play in Kurosawa mode. I know what it's there for. I know it seems appealing, but don't. Because you'd be doing yourself a disservice. Because this game is gorgeous. If you turn the colors off, you're missing half of the experience. This game is really pretty. I have no desire to go in black and white. I have no, I have zero desire. I'm playing a game. I want my colors. There's a place called the Golden Forest, and it's absolutely gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. so, the color, the color grading is amazing, and it's like that realistic color grading as well. And thankfully, I've got HDR on my new TV, so I've been playing with HDR, and it's fucking. Hey. It's superb. <laughs> it's really nice. Can you describe what the difference is? So I can turn it on and off, and it's like um, the lighting clarity is very different. I don't know. It seems a bit duller. I'm obviously not very good at explaining what this is, but it just looks superb. The lighting is amazing. Honestly, you, uh, you should watch. Try and watch 1080p 4K footage on YouTube if you, of it if you can. Um, mm-hmm. The, the game has a really nice weather system, like a dynamic day system. And every, you know, if it's stormy and cloudy, it looks very realistic to what a stormy and cloudy day would look like. When it um, when it's sunny, it's just gorgeous. The colors bounce everywhere. The game is really nice, mm-hmm. but really nice looking. It's just a shame that, I mean, it's taken me still like 10, 15 hours to even just stop noticing i really had to push through in the beginning like i was actively thinking about it all the time about how not fun it was because of how bad it was running on a base ps4 let me reiterate that part but then you get more into the game and then the game shows you what it's about and then you're like okay well maybe actually this is fun enough to sort of overcome the technical hurdles and it kind of is I like the combat, the ability to be either a samurai or the ninja-like ghost, which is the dishonorable way of killing people, which the game wants to tell you like a thousand million times through flashbacks. The game's like, you're a samurai. You need to face people in the eye and kill them. And then it's like, oh, here's a bunch of smoke bombs and kunais and arrows that you can use and you can hide in the grass. And here's a lot of power-ups for that grass. And you're like... What do you want from me, game? Do you want me to be an honorable samurai or do you want me to take the easy route? I hate that shit, man. Take the easy route and just assassinate everybody. Yeah. I like the duality of both, though. The, 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 whole, the whole stealth and not stealth argument is in, like, every single game these days. And it just drives This game nuts. is very much one or the other. Like, oh. you can do both, like, uh, in the same fight, but... It's not like there is a, a natural blend. Like you will walk in, you'll stand off with them and do the katana duel, and then immediately you'll throw the smoke bomb down and go hide in the grass and you'll wait. Am I gonna get a bad ending for 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 being a ninja or, or maybe? Whatever? I haven't even thought about that, but you might be right because 
a part the game calls it the ghost like when you're like this ninja type character this dishonorable killer you're you're the ghost right and actually i think and it gives you flashbacks to your uncle like he's the the lord of the island right and he's like you should never kill people dishonorably and then you're like, I'm sorry, uncle. <laughs> you're stabbing a dude in the neck from behind. <laughs> that is so Ubisoft open world, though. That is the same thing Far Cry keeps telling you about when you either sneak in a base or rocket it from the front gates. You'll That's... you'll you'll notice some stuff as well because it's not a triple A game, you know, it's Sucker Punch, guys are made infamous. They're not exactly Ubisoft, they're not exactly CD Projekt Red. Um, you'll notice things that are just normal in open world games like this that are just not there, right? You pick up shit tons of stuff, like supplies, and it's just called supplies. It's a generic piece of text with a number attached to it that you then trade for upgrades. There's no visual element to it. There's no actual inventory. There's nothing. It's very superfluous. Just it's there because it's an open world game. There are, there are some missing parts to it, but I'm actually surprised at how much fun I'm having with it and actively like wanting to play it. I yeah, I don't know. Matt, I honestly wouldn't suggest it to you, buddy. I think you'd Probably immediately not. be disappointed with how it runs. Yeah, sixty bucks, man. I can't rent games anymore. Can't try them out. Ah, man. Last of Us Two. I'm still waiting on. I don't know, man. George, I don't think you'd get the historical kick out of it as you would with how detailed Odyssey was. Like, as I said, it's very like Japan historical, but there's not like those. There's not many of those hidden notes or little bits of like famous characters who appear related to historical Japanese culture, even though it's based on a real thing that happened to Japan, which was the invasion of the Mongols. In I, I still think I'd, I'd like to just live in that world for a week or so, but there's no way I'd go for completion with a game like that. I'd really be fascinated to it for the historical aspects. Like one... I think you'd be disappointed, to be honest. Ah, just like seeing how they talk. Like those cute little statues of Raijin everywhere. Yeah, sorry. That is the other thing I wanted to mention. I am playing in Japanese. And if you are going to do that, which would be the sensible thing to do, considering it's more appropriate, the lip-syncing dubbing <laughs> is so bad. Oh, no. The voice acting's incredible. I, I feel like that would help it, though, because then it would look like a old samurai movie. No, no, no. No, let me, let, let the me clarify. The Japanese audio. He's, he's talking the about Japanese audio. audio is amazing. It's just that the original characters spoke in English, English, so the mouth flaps are in English, so all the Japanese is out of sync with the mouth. Because the English is perfectly synced up because that's what the motion capture was. Do but you really, at, like, at point, noticing it, is it like. Oh, well, it depends. So if you're reading subtitles, maybe you won't notice. Thankfully, a lot of the time, I could just listen and I don't have to look at the subtitles too much. And then I notice the mouth flaps really badly. <laughs> like there'll be moments where the mouth is just closed and <laughs> the character's finishing the sentence and you're like, this is oh, not on purpose. No. They just did not have the animation budget to change this, which is understandable, but it is a little rough sometimes. On the bright note is that the main character in Japanese, Jin Sakai, is voiced by the guy who does Rona Zoro from One Piece. He's a famous voice actor. Oh. And which means you get to play 
a samurai as one of the most famous fictional anime samurai swordsmen. And it's really cool. Yeah. Shit. I uh I was watching an old uh old old, old Japanese black and white movie and it's the level of formality that historical Japanese speech has encoded in it is absolutely insane. The um tone of voice, like how high pitched or low pitched you are when you talk, apparently carried meaning back then. So that's funny because one thing my girlfriend did point out to me when she heard some lines was that the localizers in Japan, because obviously the script was written in English first and then translated into Japanese for after and obviously they paid very close attention to the authenticity of the game fair play to sucker punch in this regard but actually in japanese obviously the english is just going to be english script right it's going to be normal language maybe a bit highfalutin in terms of like medieval talk that we would you know associate with fantasy or historical pieces and actually the japanese localization they actually use really weird japanese to try and emulate how people would have spoken at that time period. So some of the senses in Japanese are like really strange. So that's she's like, wow, that's cool. super old. Like, why would they say that? Yeah, I, I like yeah, that. So, but yeah, unless you're Japanese, you wouldn't be able to uh, jump into it too much. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, unfortunately, we have to, to jump one of our dads out of here on a on an early notice this week. I must go to work. I I I will miss you too dearly. He's actually just gonna go play Ghost of Tsushima. Pay yeah, those taxes. Yeah, yeah unless it was dollars. on PC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on PC. I'm gonna be one of those PC master race guys very soon. All these games coming out on PS4 that are like not running well. Making me sad, man. If Ghost of Tsushima has a PC port, I am gonna buy it on sale and just live in that world for a week and yeah. I can sort of understand why you need a PS5 now, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. yeah. You can feel the wind on your DualSense controller. It, oh, you, the wind does blow out through your controller when you swipe it to oh see the guidance. God. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it goes... Oh, that's cute. Through that the terrible DualShock speakers. <laughs> and you're like, oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just going to go use the restroom for the next three hours, and that's what's going to happen. So just visualize. That's going to be podcast canon. You're just going to go do a George. All right, so I'm going to go use the restroom, guys. I'll see you later. You make make your money. The boss makes mine. That's why you poop on company time. <laughs> but you are the boss, so what are you doing? You, you're wasting your own money? Oh, sh he just left. Well, he's going to poop for three hours. For three hours. So I have a uh, fun question for your design sensibilities here. Okay. This might be pretty interesting with Matt gone. It was going to be a fun family discussion question, but, but with your head full of game design, I'm really interested to see what would happen here. Sure. I did my taxes over the past week. We got our deadline extended into July. That is out of my hands. <laughs> it, it kills me every single year how complicated the paperwork for taxes is for how simple the math is okay my basis for comparison has always been dungeons and dragons right in terms of filling out a big sheet of paperwork for for basic simple arithmetic that gets plugged into otherwise 
complex uh, uh, scenarios. What do you think taxes can learn from Dungeons and Dragons? And maybe what can taxes learn from gaming systems in general? I would say the only thing I wish taxes, thankfully, I don't have to do what you've done. I've always had my taxes automatically done for me. The only thing I think taxes should take from Dungeons and Dragons is the ability to barter with the IRS <laughs> how to get out of your taxes. And if you roll high enough charisma, you will be able to get out of your taxes for the year. Isn't that what, what the rich people do anyway? <laughs> well, yeah, they've got high enough charisma. They're doing it. Maybe all of us just haven't put enough points into the charisma. So this year, they split the basic sheet that you have to fill out as, as an American in the third world country versus how automated it is in the rest of the world. They split that sheet up into three different schedules that are now attached to the main sheet of paperwork that you go through out of order. The way I was filling them out was I would fill out the first third of the 1040, and then all of a sudden I have to fill out 1040 Schedule 3, and then 1040 Schedule SE, and then I go back to regular old 1040, that then prompts me to go to Schedule 2, which is like page 2 in the attachment order that you mail them in, and it's like, it's actually out of order, and I had so, a very hard time understanding their logic there. It's been I mean, way easier that in previous years. like shit bureaucracy, which something America has always had issues with. I mean, Japan has bad bureaucracy, but at least even in Japanese, a lot of the papers tend to be only two or three pages, which is great. So when you do Japanese taxes, how does it work? Well, I don't have to because I pay income tax and it gets automatically done. And then at one point of the year, I just need to update whatever my status is and whether I have a spouse or I have codependents or where, where I live. And I just have to double check that my status is correct to whatever my tax bracket is in Japan. Do they do that online or through snail mail? online so there's no paperwork uh i get a piece of paper that is a, an overview of my yearly paid taxes at the end of the year but that's it so i don't understand in america if you have a job at a company do you not get income taxed automatically yes you do but you have you still are supposed to file a tax return that like has you writing down in a sheet of checklist paper how much you had automatically paid in taxes and if your income is below a certain level you get a portion of that back in a refund and that process is not automatic Why? if uh it, doesn't the company do it automatically that you work for because in the uk and japan companies do it automatically and then sometimes at the end of the year you get a refund and sometimes if it looks like you uh, you don't get a refund, but you think you should, you can actually challenge their calculations and ask them to do it again. And sometimes you can provide additional evidence and they'll, they'll do it again. Yeah, if you, if you work for a company, you are taxed automatically, but that refund is not automatic. You gotta do the Dungeons and Dragons character sheet paperwork. So you can choose not to do the tax return. Yeah. If you don't care. And and I guess the money goes into a bomb somewhere that, that blows up a wedding in Yemen. Yeah, that was a very cynical way of putting America's problems in a very nice boat. Where's the lie, though? 
Yeah. Um, it's strange because I've never really had to think about taxes, thankfully. Japan made me think about them more because we have income tax, but we also have city tax in Japan. We pay tax to the city. In the UK, I think this is similar to what we have called council tax, where you pay the council tax on your apartment for whatever the council does. That's where the council gets its money. And the cities in Japan, and they're all different prices. Like, for example, Okayama was a lot cheaper than Kyoto. Kyoto is quite expensive. But for the first two years, foreigners don't have to pay city tax until you've been here for two years. And then you get shafted with the uh, the city tax that comes in. Is there something similar in America where you have to pay like state tax on top of your income tax? Yeah, there's state income taxes. But I mean, I live here in Georgia in the southeast. And I don't want to say they're negligibly small, but there's something like a one third, a one fourth. They're a fraction of the federal income. Tax. So that's the thing is if I pay like $60 income tax on my pay every month, my city tax is actually like $150. Oh, so the local taxes are more expensive than the federal ones? Well, my income tax, the tax on my pay is lower, usually by half. Yeah. Uh, how did it work in the UK? Was, oh, and also- sort of similar. We pay council tax, but that is paid on your apartment. So only when you have an apartment or a house, you pay council tax. Once you have a registered address and you're the addressee, you have to pay council tax. Was it paperwork or online? I think even then, five years ago when I was doing that at the end of me living in the UK, I think I was doing that online. Because this is the thing we've spoken about before, right? When I moved to Japan, most of this was paperwork as well, which blew me away because I'd just come from the UK where everything was online. Banking was online, internet was online, everything was online, utilities, and Japan has only just in the past two years started doing that. This just makes me sad. I mean, I was thinking about having like a happy, uplifting conversation about Dungeons and Dragons being like taxes. <laughs> and now I, I just mean, I just wish I could get on a website and have them tell you how much you owe. Because when you submit your paperwork in, they know how much you owe anyway. It's just a test. And it's extremely simple arithmetic unless you have a really complicated portfolio of businesses and properties and you got to go through six different schedules of paperwork out of order to get it done. I feel sorry for you because I've never truly understand. You know, when people say, eh, don't worry, I'll, uh, I'll put it on the tax, you know, when they buy things and they're like, yeah, you know, it's a business expense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a business expense. A I'm business like, expense. does that mean it's free? Like, I don't, no. I don't quite know what you mean. In fact, actually, one of the first experiences I saw of this was when I, I met Gerard, obviously our buddy, the completionist. I met Gerard in Tokyo and took him to a game store and he bought some like props for the set, you know, he always has his video case collection behind him in his videos. And he was like, I'll expense, tax expense it, or whatever you, you say. I forget what you say. Deductible. Deductibles, yeah, tax deductibles. And that's the other thing, the words. Is it free? I, or do you pay tax and then you get that money back? You, you just subtract it from your taxable income. It's, it's not that the item becomes free. It's that you can... That you don't pay tax. Tax for that. Mm. See, this is where it's confusing. No, it just lowers your taxable income because you consider it a business expense. You subtract it 
as like supplies you spent to do your business from how you calculate the total profit of, so you know strange. revenue minus expenses yeah so i know you can do that pretty much in every country but i've just never been in a position like uh, adulting welcome to the data we're teaching you how to do your taxes i know in japan you can donate money tax money to towns in japan and there is this amazing scheme where certain companies who maybe come from certain towns in Japan will offer you benefits based on giving your tax money to them, which is something you can totally do. In what, Japan. Are, what are the benefits? Well, for example, and I'm paraphrasing a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine who w- works as a localization uh, producer. He maybe two or three years ago gave his tax donation to a town where NIS, you know, Nipponichi software come from in Japan. I think it's down in Fukuoka area, maybe. And the benefit was that you would get your name in the credits of their next game. And also an NPC <laughs> character would be named after your name. It's like a, like a Kickstarter reward. Yeah, like a Kickstarter. But basically what they're doing is they're trying to improve the town in which they live in because <laughs> they get that tax donation. So the incentive is to donate money to that town. And and Nipponichi don't have to necessarily spend their own money in that town. But, you know, the town they're in is flourishing because they're getting this money. And in return, you get these interesting benefits. Some towns send you fruit baskets and, like, invitations to stay in hotels and stuff like that. Yeah, I was wondering if you get, like, a discount for the local restaurants or something. Yeah, you absolutely do. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, a catalog for it. Like... I remember it going around our company, like there was a catalog of them being like, you can donate your tax. You should think about putting your tax in uh, in a town. And um, this legitimately actually sounds like something Tom Nook would do to stimulate the local economy. <laughs> <laughs> Good guy, Tom Nook. So also, um, there are game nights in the Dad and Sons Discord now. There is. Uh, when we can all organize them, because we have... Dad's sons, daughters, and mothers from all around the globe in our patreon.com forward slash dad and sons podcast support it. No, it doesn't have podcast at the end. <laughs> www.patreon.com forward slash dad and sons, the Patreon supported Discord community, which has over 130 plus members now. Damn, that's a lot of people. And if you have no life like me, you can show up for all the game nights they organized. Uh, one of the users named Black Doom had the incredibly bright idea to bring Titanfall 2 uh, back out of the old dusty attic. That game's getting a new lease on life thanks to uh, its Steam release, and the player count is actually kind of sustaining around a fairly enjoyable 200 people just, just hovering around most of the time throughout the day on that thing. We organized some private CTF matches that are... Oh my god, it was the most fun I have had. <laughs> I forgot. I absolutely forgot just what a clean, fun time that game is. It is such an elegant, beautiful, fucking sublime co- combination of old school and new school. Um, You have two pixel tall uh, targets zigzagging around, bouncing off walls like in Unreal Tournament with these aim down iron sights weapons that have a super fast time to kill like in a modern Call of Duty game. And it is just positively the best of both worlds. And both of those worlds are executed with the degree of technological polish that is just something you you absolutely 
sometimes I wouldn't even say nowadays don't see much more because Titanfall 2 has the advantage of having extremely small levels that are um, not not got a lot of room for weird clipping issues and, and LOD scenery that you see real close by, like in uh, Warzone, for example. Mm. Um, the rush that you get from that is is such a pure adrenaline that, that it it breaks my heart when looking back that its launch got overshadowed by other games but also in retrospect i can kind of sort of see how the aesthetics would um uh turn off your average consumer compared to to battlefield one of the day titanfall 2 is a sci-fi future game with robots in it out of the design necessity i feel to have you play as as a fast zippy pilot at the same time as a big small as a big slow robot but i can totally understand how the aesthetics of that would not have great box appeal for your average consumer in the heat of the moment in november of 2013 uh wasn't wasn't that it or was it 14 Timeful two yeah no it was like 17 it was when i moved to Japan. wait no fucking way i thought this game was way older than that am i thinking of no, no you're thinking one of, right yeah, now you're thinking of one yeah, yeah, because that was a launch title for this current gen of, of consoles. Was it a launch title? I can't remember. In the in the window-ish. It was an early seventh gen. Titanfall 2 came out in 2016. Titanfall 1 was a big X-Bone exclusive. <laughs> and Origin. I remember playing the beta on Origin originally. I love the single player of Titanfall 2 so much. I have nothing but fucking glorious praise for that. But I will admit, Watching you guys play, because you guys were streaming in the Discord, in the in the Dan Sons Discord, and me being able to watch you, because I couldn't play, because I didn't have the game installed, watching you play against everybody else made me really want to play that game again, because there is nothing like Titanfall. That game is that game looks and feels great even watching somebody play it and all of the modes were good fun we had a pilot only ctf match that was just 3v3 that was the one i watched yeah and and just with such a small player count it um ended up really cleaning up our communications and getting some team callouts going and it was also perfectly sized for the pretty small maps that this game comes with we also played some um basic uh i think it's attrition is what they call the the titanfall game mode where you have the little npc grunts roaming around and i forgot just how much texture those guys add to a match you're always whipping your mouse around with with like pinpoint accuracy on on little targets that are just absolutely positively covering the screen there's so much going on in every frame of a titanfall match <laughs> yeah it, it was amazing because you did okay george you brought it back you were the best on the team then I was watching, um, and I was listening to the comms of you guys because we had two we had two separate channels in the Discord, so the two teams could split up and then talk to each other. Um, and I was watching you play, and but there was one moment where you got sniped hard, and it, I can't. I think it was our user Web. I think it was Web. Maybe sniped you so hard, and it was glorious to watch. Well, okay, did. 
But also, I think you'll remember how they were like blasting us with the grenade launchers, and then we switched to grenade launchers, yeah. and suddenly the tides turned. Then you realized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. If it's if it the grenade launchers may be OP as shit, but once both teams have grenade launchers, it's just up to the best man, right? <laughs> <laughs> it looks so fun though. I like I don't know. Having I don't know whether it's like the nostalgia, not the nostalgia, but I haven't cared about multiplayer gaming for five years because living in Japan, realistically, time zones fucking suck. And it's hard to be able to play. So I gave up. But then watching you all play Timefall made me realize again that there is something out there that is really fun that, you know, these multiplayer nights could really be something quite fun. And I'm actually super excited to potentially jump on some like Smash and Jackbox and Halo and like oh, yeah. get, get back into the multiplayer spirit. I, I did some Smash too, but we're not going to talk about that. Instead, we're going to talk about Halo 3, baby. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about Smash when I get to play. <laughs> well, also the thing, I mean, on top of me not being that super duper great still pretty decent at smash ultimate my joy cons are drifting to the point where that game is actually borderline unplayable for me at this point my controllers were dying mid smash i can play animal crossing and i think that's it right now yeah i finally bit the bullet mine were drifting and also the right joystick uh joystick joy con the right trigger button just wouldn't work anymore it was completely broken so i bit the bullet the $80 bullet oh. and bought oh. two new Joy-Cons. I bought the purple and orange, like, Halloween-looking ones. And How the hell did they cost the same as, like, a week and a half of gas or, or two weeks of groceries? They are very expensive, but it's nice to have two new Joy-Cons, I will admit. Not that I've used them yet, because I'm using my TV. <laughs> I'm going to try the self-repair. You guys might hear a few weeks. You guys might hear me break my Joy-Cons in a few weeks. <laughs> but eventually, when I reach the point of no return, I'm going to try to repair them before I order any new ones. And I know that you're supposed to send them into Nintendo, but it takes two, a few weeks. And that process has always been delayed for the coronavirus. But more importantly, I yeah. am the kind of personality where I want to do it myself. And you won't spend money on it. Uh, I'm probably more that type of personality than the DIY personality. Yes, but that's what I mean. Speaking of technical difficulties, you if couldn't you've get been a Halo working. If you've been on the internet lately, you might have read <laughs> about how this new Halo port is fantastic. Not for me, though, apparently. <laughs> um, what was the I, problem? Why was it able to play, but you weren't? Because uh, I wanted to swap my grenade melee and offhand reload buttons. You know how in Halo 3 you have this dual wielding system where on a controller you would press LB to reload? Yeah. That button is simultaneously bound to grenade and also reload the offhand button by the default control scheme. If you try to make your own control scheme, you can't double up buttons like that. They want every single button of every Halo game in the Master Chief Collection bound to a function even when you're not using it. And that includes a lot of the um, Forge, uh, Gary's Mod, camera, rotational, control stuff that you might never really use ever if you never make custom content for this game. 
Now, this is Halo 3, and custom content was a revolutionary thing that I can't believe more games didn't do since Halo 3, but it has its own Garry's mod mode included in it, Forge. And I was playing some custom games with a uh, friend of mine who had some some content preloaded, and it was a blast. I Back in 2007 on the Xbox, to play a Forge map of, say warthog sumo wrestling where you and and six other warthogs are on a platform floating above a bottomless pit trying to push each other off you had to like find a land group and and hook tvs together (laughs) but now with the magic of this port coming out on pc you can actually download that stuff from the internet but what you have to do is look up player names that you type in manually. You no copy pasting for some reason in this interface. You download them from a player name's profile. And I kept getting errors on this thing. And no one in the subreddit was getting these errors. No one in the guide was getting these errors. None of my friends were getting these errors. It was just a George problem. So I was not able to host some hilarious custom game types. Is I it had like discovered some sort of one night before. weird issue? Maybe do you remember like NAT issues, like NAT yeah, issues with Xbox? Could be a, a checkbox somewhere deep in some option screen, somewhere in my configuration in particular that could have done it, like a firewall hmm. option somewhere. But there was uh, a custom game mode called Warthog Sumo that was like a bar. It's amazing how many Mario Party minigames you can make out of the Halo 3 Forge mode. Uh, Just like the Mario Party game where you're ball bopping each other off a pit. There was another one called, um, the mode was, the game type was called Halo, but it also goes by circle racing. I preferred that term because (laughs) playing a Halo map for a game of Halo in Halo is, is incredibly redundant and hard to talk about. But basically... Imagine a extremely narrow one vehicle wide lane that goes in a spiral over a bottomless pit. And there's one player in the middle of this spiral with a rocket launcher who will shoot at these vehicles running in circles. And the vehicles can't (laughs) see the rockets coming because on the Halo control scheme, when you turn your camera, it turns your vehicle too. So if you wanted to peek left and right as a vehicle and see these rockets come in, you risk... um, running your vehicle off the edge so the strategy was to get passengers riding the car with you who would spot for you and tell the driver when to stop and go and before you know it there would be traffic jams on this incredibly narrow spiral track of cars (laughs) getting blown up by rockets by the one player in the middle having fun while everyone else was yelling at each other to stop and go while like accidentally bumping each other off the edge and eventually someone finally makes it to a, a a trigger point in the race line that kills the the player with the rocket launcher. And that's how the the team that has to drive the, the vehicles can win. There that, was sounds like a, Halo. that sounds a, like Halo. That sounds was, like Halo. Have you heard of a custom game type called Duck Hunt? No, maybe. Uh, so imagine one player standing on, on a perch above a bottomless pit. The other players are kind of behind a wall with a lot of holes poked in it, and they have to run up a zigzag um, uh, a track up up to high elevation. Like, uh, imagine the original Donkey Kong arcade machine board, but with a, a grid placed on top of it that you have a window to peek at Mario zigzagging his way up the tower with. 
The sniper is supposed to aim at these certain windows and wait for a player to show up based on previous movement. And it's uh, <laughs> it's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> and the very next day when um, I, I tried to arrange a dad, when I tried to join a dad and sons game night for Halo, I couldn't get any of this shit to work. I, it was the best of times, the worst of times. The the, the night where, where I I managed to get those custom game types working was an amazing internet party. But um I, I just couldn't get over how salty not getting this stuff to work made me made me feel the the next day. <coughs> I'm jealous that you were doing it anyway. Time zones do not work in thy favor. I I really hope you get to join us sometime. <coughs> me too. Me too. Um, there is a lot going on in said Patreon, though, uh, Patreon Discord, um, and we are organizing future game community nights. Uh, I think uh, one of our lovely members, Aubrey, is organizing a Jackbox party night, day, evening, morning, depending on where you are, uh, in the Discord for, I think, this weekend, the weekend the podcast comes out. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should jump in. Maybe you should join. And the week after that, we will be having our first $15 AMA hangout session that is almost going to be like a podcast that you can join and uh, muck around with the three of us through. We'll be uh, plugging more details on that at the. Ah, fuck it. Whatever. Let's plug it now. Hey, if you want to join us for almost what is more or less like a live podcast episode, the $15 Patreon tier will include a monthly AMA hangout session. Next week, we'll be doing the first of those sessions. It's going to be Thursday, July 30th at 7 p.m. U.S. Eastern, 4 p.m. U.S. Western. We're going to be taking your questions and talking through a topic list that I'll prepare over Jackbox Party Pack. So until then, remember to hang tight. keep in touch, hang tight. We promise we'll stop shilling, but the Discord is popping off. It's good. It's great. It's been such a wonderful time, and we've been having a blast with all of the lovely dads and sons and daughters and mothers in the Discord talking all the time. The channel is active 24-7 because we have people from Europe, Asia, America, South America, Scandinavia. It's been amazing. I played some real dad F1 driving <laughs> live in the Discord and we had about 15 of us laughing at me crashing into every corner. It was wonderful. I even bought a trackball mouse because I was having carpal tunnel syndrome. Well, we have a we have a doctor in the Discord who helped me find a way to treat my carpal tunnel after making the golf game. Did you it's... make an entire channel about your trackball? <laughs> that's that's the that's the uh, channel dedicated to nonsensical. Uh, images or pieces of text related to whatever is happening in the uh, live chat. Uh, <laughs> but it's called Trackball Chatters. <laughs> yes. So yes, I did. But if you're not a part of the Discord and you're not a part of the Patreon, please consider signing up because it really helps us uh, expand. Be our internet friends. And Matt's not around right now to stop us from chilling because you know Matt had clamped down on this shit hard. And he's also not going to listen back to this episode either. So... This one will fly by. I'm lonely. Ah, horrible, Edith. Just horrible. What is it, Harry? Oh, our health care costs have gone up. Kingdom Hearts 2 has screwed us again. High property taxes, overpriced prescription medications. 
Where was Kingdom Hearts 2 during Hurricane Katrina, eh? <laughs> oh, I wish there was something we could do about it. Harry, there is. Really? For the cost of sending an email, we can vote for Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne. But that's so much. Oh, but it's worth it. Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne would never take advantage of our innate gullibility. Ooh, that's good news. <laughs> Thank you, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne. Uh, now, get me my supper, woman. <clears throat> Take us into the news, Georgie boy. So speaking of interesting cultural mixes of people from, from different places and backgrounds, all engaging in the same media together, I thought I would uh, totally George up some talk on Ghost of Tsushima. And um, I'm really also interested in what more, if you had any more conversations with uh, your girlfriend about how the Japanese in the games work. Um, because apparently according to kotaku at least japanese critics really enjoyed this game it got a perfect score from famitsu yes it did um it does seem that it's done quite well in japan it sold like two hundred and fifty thousand copies and is now short on stock in japan uh it is the third time a western game got a perfect score apparently the only others are skyrim and gta 5 from from Famitsu Weekly. Yeah. <sighs> um. There's some quotes, or at least not necessarily quotes, but paraphrases of Japanese reviewers talking about how much they actually appreciated the game's use of archaic Japanese words. There you and, go. See, there you go. Yeah, which sounds like what what your girlfriend had noticed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that shit stands out as somebody saying "yield verily," right? It, it's very similar. Ye old verily Japanese. Yes. There was some Western um, social media chatter about the Japanese being bad, but as actual Japanese people found out, no, it was a deliberate attempt to make it sound historical. Yeah, for better or for worse, because even some Japanese people are like, hey, this is kind of weird. Like, it's not exactly gelling with the experience, maybe, but it seems like it went off well. It's reviewed quite well. Um, um Den Dengeki praises the game for its understanding of, of the historical period and also apparently historical Japanese movies. There's uh <laughs> praise from, from Akiba Soken is the name of the publication. Uh the Kotaku writer says they say Ghost of Tsushima's protagonist Jin Sakai isn't the typical samurai of foreign creation, but rather a real Japanese samurai with the site using both the English samurai and then the Japanese samurai word to draw the distinction between the two. What yeah, do you think I is mean, the difference Tom, between the two, actually? Well, it's not Tom Cruise's last samurai. So I never I actually imagine. saw that. Okay, how bad is that movie? I actually don't think that movie is that bad, but it's definitely not, uh, you know, culturally accurate. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Um, and I can see why maybe people are having the problems with this, especially if you are Asian and non-Japanese. So, um, and I understand exactly why Japanese reviewers will like this game, because Japan's super nationalistic, and this game fucking, like, this game is giving Japan's history, like, a blowjob. It's so yeah, Okay, so so Western game critics are like, oh, this is a fun, really pretty open world game, kind of generic and usual, but still good. Japanese game critics seem like tickled that that they they got it right. 
Um, there's some social media chatter from Chinese players who are not liking the games. Yeah. Really? Koreans too? I didn't know yeah. that. I mean, Japan weren't too kind to both those countries in historical right. past. In this case, the game takes place during a Mongolian invasion. And there, apparently there's some upset Chinese players about how the Mongolians are depicted. And I haven't seen much footage of the combat, but from what I saw, they didn't necessarily look like these stereotypical Mongolians with like furry hats and riding horses with archers. Uh, yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, I didn't know if there were more of those types in the game, but what They're I saw more was like historically a... accurate towards like uh, Genghis yeah. Khan, and yeah, the I... the bad guy is based off being the grandson of Kublai Khan. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Kublai. Khan, who was an actual conqueror or, you know, emperor of China and Mongolia, I believe. So I having be played it, how are these historically actually real, but still in the narrative of the game, like depicted as villainous? Like, how are, are these these invading Mongolians they're depicted? Like, they're exactly as what you think they are. They're bad guys who turn up in boats. They pillage villages they kill people indiscriminately they are meant to look sort of like savages apart from the main bad guy who uh in the law of the game speaks japanese so that's why he's talking to the char characters in japanese in when you're in listening to the japanese audio he speaks their language and also he studied culturally japan and supposedly has a fascination with japan he's learned a lot to understand the Japanese culture and stuff like that. He's meant to come off as some sort of intellectual warlord. But in terms of like everybody else, they're just Mongols, Mongolians who invade and burn villages down and kill people. There's dead, you quite frequently stumble across dead bodies, both Japanese and Mongolian. And there are also Japanese bandit bad guys in the game too um but it is super super into the samurai code the the the, the mythological ethics of samurai being the righteous warrior and a lot about japanese culture is in there not extensively i wouldn't say this is some sort of documentary about japan and it misses a lot of nuance about japan that isn't there um, but it does try to be like a, an, a Kurosawa film, which, of course, is going to be very Japanese biased and friendly, um, which has not gone down well with uh, Asians that have suffered at the hands of Imperial Japan. Not that this game talks about Japanese imperialism. I didn't know that there was such empathy for the, the, the Mongolians from the Chinese side of social media. This is yeah, totally new to me when I read I, this article. I have no idea about that. Somebody yeah. else could better explain that. Um, but I've, I have seen actively Koreans who are unhappy with how righteous Japanese are seen in the in the game and stuff like that. I think it's difficult. The time period seems way off from, you know, in the game, Korea is called Genryok, which is what it used to be called and stuff like that. And it's not quite the career of today. It's not even the Korean Republic. It's not even the China Korea. It's, it's, you know, 
a time before. Um, but the Japanese imperialism of world war and stuff like that, that we know all of the terrible atrocities that Japan caused in both like Nanking and also, you know, the comfort women of South Korea, uh, of Korea, I should say. Um, but yeah, the game is about being a samurai. It's as in love with Japan as hmm. a, an, a, a Kurosawa film would be. Um, and it glorifies samurai as these noble, righteous, uh, patient, uh, emotionally stable warriors who were the, the you know, almost the uh, example of society. So uh, according to the South China Morning Post, which is my source here, they say, today, some argue that the Mongols who occupied China should also be considered Chinese people. Takes me as a surprise because, you know, both like consuming Japanese and European media, like they're typically vilified. And, and when looking at the borders, Mongolia is its own separate nation state nowadays in the modern world. So I was surprised. This was all news to me. You remember that South Park episode where the, the local Chinese restaurant guy builds a wall against the Mongolians? Remember Mulan and how vilified the Mongolians were in that? Uh, apparently that's not the case nowadays. Chinese people are empathizing with the Mongolians in this video game. There's some, we, to the best of my knowledge, we, there aren't big Chinese game reviewers around yet. So what this article, I guess the logic here is that these these posts are what we have to gauge what certain chunks of public opinion would look like over there. And it is weird to read some of this stuff, how, how different it sounds compared to what we're used to. I stand with the Mongols. Japanese people can crawl. One user commented on the video strike Bibli, referring to Japanese people with a racial slur. At the end of the day, this is a game where Japanese people are killing Chinese people. Foreign players can play if they like, but Chinese people shouldn't join in the fun. Ah, that's the quote. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you get the point, right? It, it's, I, I feel like this kind of thing is really difficult because even if the oh, game yeah. oh, is yeah. thematically, like the game is about Japan, it's about samurai, it's about something that it's culturally very important to Japan that everybody has some sort of reference point because that's a famous culture. But it's historically accurate that the Mongolians tried to invade Japan in that time period. You can't not... You can, I don't know whether it's like, oh, it's Japanese people killing Chinese people. Well... On the flip side, Mongolians were invading Japan, and these people were defending themselves. The, the, where do we? Where do we? Like, this is not to be. The article does end with a few Chinese posts who are like, "Yes, guys, invading is generally bad, and defending is generally good. Let's focus on that instead." So, so like they're out there. They're they're there. Yeah, but I, I think it just it symbolizes something that is gonna be. How we look at things from now on. How mm -hmm. do you determine a historical video game or media and portray a bad guy or a bad enemy and they are from a race of people, whether it's Middle Eastern, Russian, Iranian, 
South American, sometimes British, comically so. Um, and oh yeah, you guys Asian. blew up Alderan. <laughs> but how do you do that in video games? If we can't talk about, uh, 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 we can't make a video game about the year twelve hundred when Mongolians did twice <laughs> try and invade Japan. And Japanese fought back. And also, actually, Mongolians actually died in tsunamis uh, that happened at the same time. Um, yeah, I, which I'm fascinated can... by the game's wind theme for that reason. Like, I, I'm really interested to see how they, if, if the final boss battle is the tsunami that destroyed their fleet. <laughs> how, how can you, do you not do any of these things? Do you not make a video game about terrorists do you not make a video game about the cold war do you not make a video game about uh england fighting france for hundreds of years like and because one of them has to be the bad guy i don't know it's it's strange i get it japan is super nationalistic and has been terribly imperialistic as well throughout history and is now a very, as we can see, if I left Japan right now, I wouldn't be allowed back in because I'm a dirty foreigner and Japanese people are allowed in. Japan has problems, same as everywhere with racism. But this, I think this is a different context. This is like picking bones because it's a, a, a certain race of people. I think it's going to be real interesting to see how games are going to get localized for a Chinese market in the future. A lot of times Japanese games mm. this week swear he had his meltdown in particular, like the cultural barriers will cause stuff to look unsavory in different markets. And um, we have to be sensitive to these things. Yeah, understandably so. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what offends the Chinese over the next decade, because they're going to be playing a lot of games and talking about them a lot more than 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 in previous years, if uh, you know, unless unless their economy gets wrecked in the post corona, I guess world. I can see it. Like, imagine if there was a game from some European publisher about Russians fighting Americans. There'd be probably some sort of outrage in some quarters of America, being like, "We're not the bad guys. What is the problem? We're the good guys, right?" Yeah. And as far as I know, like I've talked to a lot of Russian players who think that the depiction of Russians in games is typically cringy and hilarious. So. I imagine that, that happens very there too. bored of that trope, yeah. <laughs> oh, and then Bond, I have come to kill you. Like, <laughs> Maybe we should have Rami home. on to talk about how Middle Easterners are depicted, because holy yeah. shit. Ooh. And yeah, obviously, 2020 stereotypes like Call of Duty, maybe not so great. Um, but 1200, almost based on realistic historical events. Yes, one lone samurai slaughtering everybody. <laughs> it's not something that happened. But if there was an invasion and people fought back, then I don't know, really. Maybe the problem is just the fact that the game tries to glorify samurai in a certain way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't through, know. Through heavy consultation, through heavy consultation and research and taking the known risk and then not digging yourself a deeper hole if you uh end up doing something poorly um yeah don't uh don't don't call fairly well researched attempts at criticism propaganda on twitter i guess if it happens
I can see why some people would be offended. Like, to some people, glorifying this, not culture, it's very different time period to Imperial Japan. Which were, they were like Nazis. They were Asian Nazis. Whoa. They were. They were terrible. So I understand why some people might, some people might have a problem with it. It's like if we were glorifying Nazis of a certain time period, I guess. But I don't know. It's interesting. Oh, God. It's something we have to think about. Oh, can you imagine playing a game, a World War II game where the Nazis like are depicted as the, oh, as like the Tret. Oh, oh, I'm thinking about it and it just seems so much more feasible than it used to. I could so. No, I, I would see that's See, in this oh, situation, I would Jesus. think that this would be like a game that would be glorifying another part of Germany's history and like you would be carrying over the idea of Nazis as like you know like the uh the Bismarck era prior to all of the like almost the civilization version of Germany now I'm imagining a game where you play as the Japanese invading Korea and I just want to die yeah that's not on See, if you were invading a country, like in, in Ghost of Tsushima, as far as I know right now, you're not invading a country. You're on the you're defense, defending, yeah. That makes it a little more okay. I guess. If you were invading <laughs> something, according I think to pop that's culture. problematic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Woo! Speaking of problematic things in the video game industry, how long do you want to dwell on these Ubisoft bosses uh, getting in trouble for apparently a decade's worth of women calling them out for being nasty? I don't want to dwell on it because they're not worth dwelling on. Um, they have been fired, two of them at least. Um, Tommy Francois and Serge Hasqua. I probably horrifically butchered that pronunciation. Uh, Serge was hiring buddies from a strip club that he would hang out with over qualified Jesus candidates. Christ. Tommy Francois was hitting on women, asking them out for drinks, and then ignoring them if they said no uh there's there's some there's a whole lot of stories out of many of the ubisoft studios and no no names attached to this uh allegation of genital grabbing how the hell does genital grabbing happen in a professional office environment one in which uh the culture has been set up that somebody feels they comfortably can do so i imagine it was um, very, very strange seeing this building that I snuck into in Watch Dogs 2 uh, featured on these stories. And I was just trying to imagine, like, the bros grabbing each other by the balls and in the in the deleted scenes of the of the Ubisoft office section of Watch Dogs 2. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not great. Jason, as usual, did his research and wrote a fantastic oh, yeah. story. Yeah, this uh, is Jason's his- first big Bloomberg piece. Yeah, and some of the stories are just downright fucking not on. One of the women who complained to HR got a $200 Visa gift card for it, but the guy still kept her job and their job until like, you know, this past week. Once once it became a big PR fiasco, the, the consequences kicked in versus it becoming otherwise valid HR fiasco is that apparently gets swept under the rug. 
Video games has a lot of growing to do. The more and more the years go on, the more and more I'm really genuinely starting to get not surprised that the culture of the video game industry is inherently immature. Right, anybody who thinks these are one-offs and that only happens at Ubisoft is mad. It I, I most think... definitely happens in most studios in some form because of the people who work in there, unfortunately so, which is... Under 40, maybe between 30 and 40 people who were the pioneers of the industry, who grew up in a place where they were getting money and they were having fun making video games, but able to create cultures that were in their own image of what they were into. Yeah, and the, the content of video games has historically been immature because in the 80s, the console games were marketed as toys for kids and it started yeah. growing from there. We've always, we always were this outsider culture until like, I'm gonna say N64 PlayStation era, really. I, I wish more adult, late 20, 30 something gamers would admit that the content of games and the culture of games has historically been pretty immature. And I, I hate being, now, now that it's 2020, I was probably more surprised by this stuff in 2017, but it just keeps making more and more sense to me that the executives and the bosses would also be immature as well. And I don't think immaturity is uh, the, the whole of it. I think a lot of these people are really, really smart intelligent people who understand that what they're doing until now yeah there was uh. some power balance that they could manipulate in their favor because of course you could if you're the boss and you're able to have people around you who would not oh talk shit man Just, yeah i wonder to, people are not I Bad wonder by if... accident, people think about these things, and then, especially if it's a long, ongoing sequence of events, it's a case of manipulation over time. You're uh, you're messing with people constantly. And if you've done I... it to one woman, you could do it to another woman. Some guy I... tries to get in the way, get him fired. I don't know. I wonder if the particularly intense fanatic fan bases that fanaticism that games will spark in people has something to do with it too like people who get into games have such a love for this stuff you and me and matt like we we've dedicated our lives to it games for whatever reason just strike us as something extra special and extra important and i wonder if that attracts people who for worse off will put up with bullshit they shouldn't put up with to keep the industry going and to keep their careers going you know this is a problem we have talked about and i guess that is the power dynamic they're exploiting, too, is, is an element you're, you're, of Yeah, you're kind of right a little bit. Uh, it's different now. Games is so diverse now. Whether you like it or not, you're listening to this and you're like, man, fuck those guys. What are they doing? Like, gaming is for these hardcore gamers who play 300 hours uh, of video games. It's not. It's, it's more people play games than people who watch movies. Like, it's the largest medium in the world. Like, whether you like it or not, Everybody of gender, age, race is playing games. Well, and well, that meant that now more people than ever, diverse and of many different genders, are going to be applying for jobs in games because they've been playing games for the past 10 years, 15 years, 20 years or whatever, which means it's not the same people making games anymore. Well, and you're positions. right, George. Sorry, George, one last thing. You're right. Everybody wants to work in video games. 
Of course you do. It's amazing. And if you're passionate about something, you should have a job in that because that's what makes you happy. But everybody wants that. So when you get a position, it was hard enough to get it that the threat of losing it because, and I will paraphrase what I heard at Rockstar multiple times, which is if you don't like it, fuck off to the supermarket because there's 10 people outside who would want your job. And that strikes me as rich people exploiting vulnerable people and abusers will target vulnerable people. A few weeks ago, there was a scandal in the Smash community of sexual abuses going on of, of underage kids who were young teenagers at the time. And that's probably because Smash attracts kids. Video games are popular with kids. In the, the churches, there's pastors who will abuse kids because people will take their kids to church. Kids go to church. Uh, these positions power. that attract yeah. vulnerable people in particular and people who don't have a lot of job options and who are de decided to dedicate their lives to one thing in particular may be in a position of vulnerability. Probably are. If they can be easily replaced, if they're not even giving their names because they're worried about how it's affecting their careers, then they absolutely are people in vulnerable positions being exploited by powerfuls. Yeah. I, and it's not even people who don't have options. I think that, you know, it's really intelligent, smart people who went to university and studied to be an animator or a concept artist. People who are really talented, but the pool also now is really big for those kinds of talents. So even if you are really talented, if, if, you, if you don't abide by the company rules, let's say, or the manipulative boss starts manipulating you and you don't like it and you fight back, the the threat will be there that you must be willing to lose your job because I will fire you for not doing what you're told. And that's gross and illegal, but mostly gross. <sighs> and Shivers. video games is not the only industry this happens in, but video games is a fucking huge industry and it's new and it needs to grow up a bit for sure. I think, I think the arts, religion, humanities, Things that are like fun to engage with will attract powerful abusers more than like, I don't know, the toilet paper industry. <laughs> I wonder how much sexual abuse goes on in very boring, mundane, utilitarian businesses in comparison to entertainment. We don't know because they're not as big as the video games industry. That might be so going they don't unreported get too, on. yeah. I mean, Agretzko didn't exactly have a very exciting job. <laughs> what did they do? Um, um, bonds and loans? Anime industry doesn't have a good reputation either, to be honest. Right, and I, I do imagine that that's because it attracts like, like kids and young people early in their careers. Who are so woefully underpaid. Isn't Everything you like has somebody in a, in a terrible position working on it. It sucks. The creative director, the director of Assassin's Creed, uh, the new one, Valhalla. He was one of those people. He got fired for it. He's one of those guys. Put in charge of this massive project, in charge of Origins, in charge of the... I think he was in charge of Origins or Unity or the Pyramid one. The, the Origins. Origins is Origins. the Pyramid one. Yeah. yeah. Odyssey and Origins. Yeah. Oh, the two O's, that's why. Um, <laughs> but he's gone now. You know? And I wonder for how long, though, what, what kind of consultancy position and what other studio are they going to is he going to quietly try to. <laughs> so this is the other thing, at? right? And I feel like this is also another conversation that needs to be had. What is the industry stance on 
people making mistakes, not mistakes, but a grievous in our society, in a, like I don't want to get too philosophical about this, but we as human beings send people to jail mm. so they do their time and then we try and we fight for reforms and people coming through and becoming a better citizen and fitting into society. And we give them that second chance, right? America yeah. has a big problem with people who don't want to give that to prisoners. But in a democratic society, that's what we've set up. Now, with, I don't want to say cancel culture, because that's kind of a different thing. But what is the stance for somebody who, not a super powerful boss who has been manipulative, but for example, this creative director, or somebody who is a streamer, or a, a smash, and had a relationship with somebody who was a minor and it was a, the power dynamic was a little askewed and and the other person felt like they were being abused and stuff like well, that one of them was kind of younger dumber and a hell of a lot more poor than the other person yeah yeah but the other person was older and kind of understood what they were doing was maybe a little that's that's how that's why it's abuse so exactly what is the stance then for those people learning from their mistakes over, over time, they obviously don't get work, they don't get jobs, but are they allowed to come back in eventually? Do we allow people to say sorry, I think is the important thing. And I feel like everybody's stance right now is, no, we shouldn't. You almost get like a one and done. Like once you do anything, not anything, but obviously there are varying degrees of severity. I don't know if I'm a fan of the one and done. Like, like we're going to have to bring Twitter, Twitter. Twitter makes it seem like it's a one and done. This is the kind of conversation that evokes characters like Joe Biden or Johnny Depp or um, what's it, James Gunn. Like, like some allegations that have gradually gone the other way as holes have been poked into them and cases have been won. I think years of a, a super duper well-written, well-consulted apology followed by years of proven action over words would be what it takes. Mm. And that means that I kind of sort of want to mention Philip Myusin, who plagiarized a Dead Cells review for IGN. Now, when Philip Myusin was writing for IGN, he plagiarized a lot. His Dead Cells was the one that got popularized. That's the one where the original author also read the review and was like, wait a second, I wrote this instead. Yeah. And nowadays, Philip Myerson is on YouTube with his own YouTube channel, trying to redeem himself by making content again. And the one that I did see just said an honest original review of Dead Cells, but I didn't watch it. And just the title alone kind of offended me because that means that he was capitalizing on his influence. Well, he's not learned. He's yeah. That means that there's an that... element of knowingness there. So, the, the, so there's an example, right? He yes. has proved. With that one action, he's not learned anything. He's not learned anything. The way I would have rather relearned about Philip Myerson is like five years later, reading some kind of shocking Jason Schreier style uh, uh, evocative reporting and seeing, oh, Philip Myerson, that guy? Rather than like shocking inflammatory YouTube clickbait thumbnail. Yeah, exactly. That's but even what then, I would right? consider action over words. Yeah. Currently, we're not in a position where these people are ever going to get work, though, so they wouldn't be able to just, you know, turn up and redeem themselves. But um, he just, 
he did what is so predictable, which is to capitalize upon that popularity to dig the hole deeper. Well, like he's swearing. digging the hole deeper, but to him, yeah. he must think he's like bouncing off a leap pad into popularity again. But it also looks sincere and he's apologetic. Now, let's not talk about the fact that he's made, what, six different sorry apology videos in the past and still doesn't seem to get the point. And then he's joking and arguing about it with people on Twitter who are pointing it out. That guy's not learned. And we've not seen, well, I can't think of anything off the top of my head of people who have been accused of doing something or have been found guilty of something who have then gone away and come back. I haven't seen that. Um... How do we, I want to be, I am somebody who forgives people. I want to be able to, I don't, I don't know, because it, it almost puts you in a difficult position to say, these people are doing actively negative things that make people's lives horrible. And that is unforgivable when it happens. But how can we treat one different from like somebody who goes to jail and then does the time, the idea that these people then, our reform. I don't know. It's complicated and I can't process it very well. I want to toss out like three years, three years of like sticking to, to better behavior as evident on your internet track record. I want to say three years, you know, maybe actually, no, it depends on actually how bad their victims' lives were ruined. But if you yeah, were absolutely it's the same as a crime, it's the severity, like not directly abusing someone personally. Maybe maybe it's more a three years thing because otherwise the victim still has a shitty life because of what you've well, done and you'll never point, make right? that like, better. Yeah, well, I, I mean, we so fuck that. Go around and circle. Philip Mewson is obviously not. Learned I take lesson. it back. I'm I'm I don't want three years. I take it back. Rewind. Deleted. <laughs> Backspace. It's more complicated. But Philip Mewson, he is not learned, so obviously that's a different thing. But plagiarism is not the same as sexual harassment or power harassment. It's yeah. not. And the severity should be different, but he's not. He's now an internet bad guy, no matter what. Plagiarism may be three years of, of good, solid work, sticking to his schedule, doing everything right by the books. But if there's like someone's whose personal life you've ruined, I don't know. After talking to the victim, I'm going to rehear that conversation every time I hear about the perpetrator yeah. again. And that's going to make it nasty forever. It's, so... yeah. And it's something that because it's happening now, we won't see the ripple effects of for, for like three years when somebody who inevitably was on the Internet disappears and then reappears on the Internet like three years later in a different role and hoping everybody's forgotten. What is the reaction when that happens? It, uh, yeah, we're going you know... Through growing pains. And because... we will find out in the future. We're going to see how this is going to go. And I yeah. I am fascinated to see what, what society ultimately decides on. Mm, uh, yeah, it's... Uh... I can't say I'm like looking forward to it with, you know, positive. You know, I'm grinning and, and, and rubbing my palms together. But that's a little bit of the morbid curiosity. I think you're right. I think it's a case of almost like the victim... If the victim can forgive them, then maybe that gives permission for people to start thinking about that as well. I think it's a case of like, if somebody showed that during this time they went on diversity courses or they went on a sexual harassment course and they worked on themselves to better themselves and stuff like that. Stuff, th th these courses exist for reasons and then could prove that, you know, not prove, but could show they've made the effort to 
right the wrongs in as best as they possibly can. I don't know. Are they allowed back in? Uh, yeah. I'm more and more leaning to like if there's ac- if if there's personal abuse, then just not a nope. Black and white, George, with this one. If there's like yeah. professional abuse, plagiarism, misconduct, con misconduct can still be abuse. If there's plagiarism, contract violations, and vague unprofessionalism, then mm. maybe I'll give you three years of good behavior to come back. But if there's like a person whose life you actually ruined, then no, yeah. fuck off. Yeah. Absolutely. That was great. That was fantastic. We went on for a long time, though, and I don't know if you are going to be awake enough to do one listener question. Yeah. This one is from our inbox. Toasty R asks, are there any aspects of game design that you love but feel go underappreciated or unnoticed? For example, I've always been a sucker for audio design. I feel it's one of the most important aspects. The stock sound effects and poor mixing of Metro Redux was enough to pull me out. When I tell my friends how much I love the sound design of games like Doom and Hollow Knight, they dismiss the topic and try to steer the conversation elsewhere. So to reiterate the question, are there any aspects of game design that you feel similarly about? I mean, as a game dev, I can tell you, you are 1000% correct. Audio is almost always the last thing that gets done in a video game. Hunt showdown. And tends to be some reasons behind that usually, but you are right as well. In terms of like creating a game, it's so noticeable when it's not there. And I'm a big fan of music in video games and a good soundtrack and stuff like that. So it's definitely something I also notice uh, when I play video games. Recently, I started playing Panzer Paladin, which is a pixel art retro inspired thing, expecting a really badass pixel uh, pixel related chiptune soundtrack. Didn't get it. Thought the music was very bland. If you want to completely rethink your favorite games, kids, play them with the music turned off. It changes everything. I have nostalgia for games I don't even want to play based on their music. The music is so powerful. And sound design in great games can go a long way. I think I noticed a couple of things in Ghost of Tsushima. For example, when I'm standing next to a waterfall, there's no running water sound. Wait, really? And it's... Yeah, like in certain oh, areas, depending no. on what's happening, the game over, the game prioritizes like wind and nature sounds above stuff like running water. Is this um, what keeps it from being AAA in your mind? Yeah, stuff like that is very. It's very easy. It's very easy to see where things, where decisions were made. It's kind of the curse of working in video games. You're able to see when a decision has been made to go one way or the other. Um, In terms of game design, though, which is specifically different to creating games, underappreciated stuff in game design, I think, as a whole, is user experience, which is UX stuff. Yes. Like, we talked about last week my girlfriend playing a game for the first time. Games take for uh, granted player knowledge prior to jumping in. What is the R3 button? Press the R3 button. Who in their right mind, other than a gamer, looks at the analog sticks and thinks, that's a button. Do you remember when you were a kid and learned about R3? Because I actually do. It was was a a PS1 game late in the cycle. Like, um, I want to say Ape Escape 2, maybe? Mm. And I looked for R3 and had to think about it for a second. I think I was 9 or 10. 
I do remember that. Imagine trying to explain that to anybody who doesn't know anything yeah. about games or is relatively Who's new. an adult and learns slower than a kid. So player experience stuff is super yeah. important. Um, and it's massively underappreciated because you want to show all the cool stuff in your game and you don't want to waste time with all the boring stuff like good tutorialization and uh, that kind of experience. Onboarding is, yeah, definitely a huge thing. And it's so hard because you never write you never get it right but you should try your best to onboard the player i was going to say menus and that counts as ux yeah. doesn't it yeah ux and ui yeah when when i was 11 years old i downloaded a demo for nhl 2k1 and i saw a screenshot of the menu the caption said ea sports games have always had fantastic menus ever since then i think that was the formative childhood influence that sparked caused me to care a lot about menus. That's why I'm having such a worse time with this Halo 3 port than everyone else is because I'm a menu boy. I I love the sound. It's embedded in my mind of what happens when you right click in Morrowind and get all the menus in that game you're ever going to need in one button press on a nice clean grid across the whole screen. I loved how the menus in The Witcher 1 looked like an actual journal that you could imagine Geralt flipping through. And I really, I'm the, like the only person who cared about this, but around the, the sixth console generation, I don't remember the name of the middleware, but there was a uh, Adobe Flash program that game developers were using to port menus easily across different multi-platform games. And it made them feel slow and chunky. And the text was always really big and obvious. There was a lot of misused, unused space uh, out of the, the need for console game designs who were for players sitting far away from the screen. And, and that was, it's such a particular George nitpick, but the difference between a good and a bad menu for me sometimes will make the difference between like a, a good and a great game. I, I, I adore a good menu and I despise bad menus. Yeah, it's very apparent. Like, I think in terms of UX, just think of every time you've played a game and you've gone, oh, oh you played a game that's very similar to a game you've liked. And you're like, this game, I remember when spelunky did this i remember when shovel knight did this but this game doesn't do that and you're like what is that that thing that you're talking about you might not be able to name it but you're able to feel it and that is just the user experience missing uh game feel fucking game feel oh there's a book by steve swink called game feel and it's like one of the most important books ever written about game design and it is the invisible numbers that make a game like Devil May Cry feel better than some other action game, right? Like Orcs must why... die. Oh, Destiny has crappy. Never mind. No, it doesn't. It has fun gunplay, but spongy. It did feel. in the. It didn't in the beginning. You're right. In the beginning, it didn't. Game feel is the invisible, mm. th that invisible thing you can't see, yeah. but what makes one game stand out from the other what is the feel why does super meat boy feel so much better to control than other platformers like why is mario the way Ma like why is mario stood the test of time because controlling mario is like butter it's it's so second nature and a lot of game feel is about stage. the invisible numbers you can't see the tiny tweaks and tunings like celeste celeste is a great example of like that invisible game feel, like sliding down walls and jumping at that last minute. Like Celeste has lots of hidden things. Like you can touch the spikes in Celeste for like three frames and jump off them. 
And it makes it feel better because it makes the player feel like they've just avoided hitting those spikes. And there's loads of, like, um, they have things where you jump and if you hit the roof, you'll automatically, like, go above the roof. So you'll, like, go to the wall. And just lots of tiny touches like that help with the game feel. And that is super underappreciated. Not everything is just zero and ones. You've got to sometimes go into the, the decimal points to fix things. Yes. And uh, speaking of great. which, we're at two hours decimal point. We're at um, Liam's decimal point dead. 2.2. 2. 2. Uh, thanks. Thanks to all of you for listening. Um, we're going we're gonna to wrap up here. I want to once again thanks Ryan Lafford for our hilarious theme song. Henry Ng for the animated video background that you may be watching on YouTube right now. Remember that you can follow us all individually on Twitter and hang out with us personally in Discord with a $5 Patreon donation. Send in your thoughts and questions to dadandsonpodcast at gmail.com. And next week, if you are involved in that Patreon stuff, look out for a live AMA hangout session we're going to be doing with $15 backers. That is going to be on Thursday, July 30th, 7 p.m. U.S. Eastern, 4 p.m. U.S. Western. Uh, Briefly mentioned it earlier, more or less, say... (laughs) episode that you can feel free to join i'll have some um conversation topics ready for us we'll be we'll be playing some games over as well that's going to be a ton of fun seriously until then try not to think too hard about what the bad guys in the video games are supposed to represent in real life oh play my golf game yes actually that's way happier play liam's golf game don't hate me (laughs) after playing it